0: On the eve of week one of the XFL, this is episode 40 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Short and sweet intro this time around. I'm Carlos Alcazar doing a solo pod one more time. I'm going to be joined with Dave, I think, in the next couple of days here. We're going to, we scheduled it, so we'll record a podcast. He's found his way out of a ditch, although from what I understand, he might actually be stuck in a crater. So that's probably why it took him so long to get out. But for now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time recapping the Super Bowl and also congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs on winning Super Bowl 54. That is the last time I'm going to mention the name of the game, the SB 54 game. But, a couple of different things came out of it. And the, first of all, I was really, really happy with the game itself. It was very enjoyable. Uh, unfortunately, the weather was absolutely frightful outside on that day, and a lot of my uh, associates were off doing their own thing. So it really became a matter of, you know, do you want to go out to the pub and go check out the game or do you want to stay inside and the weather was bad enough to be honest with you that it was kind of good to stick around inside. So I had the big screen going on, I had beer in the fr- cold beer in the fridge, and I had my snacks. So I was uh, I was all set to sit down and enjoy a Super Bowl game. And it was an enjoyable Super Bowl on the whole, which was really a far cry from last year's snoozer. One of, the, one of the interesting things that came about as a result of it is that almost immediately you get to enjoy. Now you're into the part that is the most fun. Obviously, the game itself is enjoyable, and you want to see who wins, and the storylines that were going to come out of that were as good as anything else that you could have hoped for because you were looking at two teams that were on the verge of potentially having a championship window. Kansas City was really, really close last year. Minus They minus one really dumb penalty, they could have very well been in last year's Super Bowl, and I think that would have been a more competitive matchup, to be honest with you. But on the other side of the on the other side of the coin you had San Francisco putting together what was a really great team and having a really great season that all got undone in the last 7 minutes of the game. And now coming out of it, what do we have? We have Andy Reid winning his first Super Bowl after over 20 years as a, as a head coach, which was a big deal, obviously. And it puts him into that pantheon of coaches of this era especially because he already had all the other regular season accolades and consistency and, you know, 10-win seasons and all of that. And obviously he had managed to do it with all kinds of quarterbacks, you know, from Donovan McNabb and then having success as well with – both Patrick Mahomes and then with Alex Smith before him. It's not like the Chiefs were a terrible team before uh, Patrick Mahomes came, but Patrick Mahomes took what they could already do well and took it to another level along with a great wide-receiving core and along with uh, Travis Kelsey and just a great team in general on the offensive side of the football. There are Achilles heel going into it, and I talked about it a, little, a fair bit in last week's episode. Really what it came down to was, did you have more confidence in, in the San Francisco 49ers defense holding down Kansas City versus the uh, Kansas City defense being able to slow down uh, what San Francisco had, the two kind of offset. The San Francisco offense, although they were prolific during the regular season, was not really built the same way. They had components that could certainly do the job, but they were really run heavy, especially throughout the playoffs. And obviously they uh, demolished my Packers on the ground without really establishing any kind of a passing game. And the way most of Super Bowl 54 looked, see, I kind of violated my own rule there immediately. But the way it looked for the most part through, let's say, three and a half quarters is it looked like it was going to play out. And I had a, a decent little wager on San Francisco. And I don't mind losing. It's I'm okay with it. Because in the end, I think the story that we're going to get out of it is a very interesting one. And there's two parts to it, really. It's Can Kansas City retool? Because I do think they have to make some adjustments. I don't think it's just a given that they're going to be back there. I think Baltimore will have something to say about the fate of the AFC. And were it not for the fact that Bill O'Brien is still employed and obviously has even more power in Houston, I would love their chances with Deshaun Watson to be able to make some noise there too. Although, you never know. He has enough talent that maybe he can anyway, you know, in spite of everything else. It's more in spite of rather than because of. But with all that said, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk getting through the AFC next year. And in the NFC side, there are some teams that can compete, but there are there are some holes. There are some areas where teams are going to have to make adjustments. The Packers had a 13-win season, but I, I talked about, you know, in speaking about the playoffs leading up to it, they were kind of fraudulent, although I liked some aspects of that team, and I can see potential in it, but they really do have to adjust to an aging quarterback who needs a little bit more help than he would have in his heyday. I'm more optimistic that they recognize this, and will make the adjustments, and if they do, then I will be a lot more optimistic about the Packers for next year, as opposed to this year. San Francisco could very well get back there, but it's going to take a lot of work. They're really going to have to reconsider and rethink, and I'm going to take a lot of the comments in the the post-game with a grain of salt, because one of the things making the rounds with Kyle Shanahan was that he considered his play calls and had no regrets about them. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to assume that he is saying that for public consumption. Because if he's not, if he genuinely believes that he didn't make any mistakes as a play caller in the game, then I genuinely don't know. Honestly, and I'm not exaggerating, I would fire the man on the spot. Because as gifted as he is in the the offensive side of the football, at that point, I would basically would have no choice. I pretty much would have to channel my inner Stephen A. Smith, and I can't do the high pitch. But my question then at that point would be, why not – Why on earth would you not be questioning your own play call in... The biggest game of your career, and the second time you're in a game of this magnitude, and I'll allude to it more in a minute, but the second time you're in a game of this magnitude, but the first time you're in a game of this magnitude as the head coach, it is all on you. It is on your shoulders. You are the person who's making the big decisions. Nobody else around you, you can't blame the offensive coordinator. You're the one making the choices, you're the one making the decisions, and you're the one who decided to pass the football when everyone and their brother other knew that much like the game against the Patriots where you were the offensive coordinator of Atlanta, the correct play was to run the football. I don't need to be a 20-year uh, veteran head coach like Andy Reid. I don't need to be a coach with six Super Bowl rings and two, as, in a, two as, in a, as a coordinator like a Bill Belichick. I don't need to be any kind of an executive or an expert or an NFL Hall of Famer. You run the football in that situation because the worst that happens is that you fail to convert, you go to fourth down, you punt the football. But in the meantime, you got to eat 80 seconds and then potentially well over a minute off the clock and at least made Kansas City's job harder. If nothing else, you made it harder. And that in of itself has some value. And that was the correct play. So Kyle Shanahan, if you don't think you made a mistake in that one, then I would sincerely reevaluate the profession that you've decided to take under. I think the I think San Francisco has a chance to get back, but it's gonna require some serious soul searching. And as I said earlier, I'm going to calm myself down and I'm going to assume that he's saying that merely for public consumption, and I'm hoping that between Mike Shanahan his dad will look at the tape with him and go, no, 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 there were some mistakes made here. There are things that can be done better. And if he learns this lesson, third time's a charm, you never know, he can always get back there and put himself in that position one more time and make the right decision this time. It worked for Andy Reid, and it took him a little longer. But it. it's just, I, I, I found that flabbergasting. But at the same time, like I said, I'm trying my best to pretend that it is merely something the guy says. If I'm taking it in that context, then I'm cool with it. Say whatever you want. Just remember that there are lessons to be learned, and I hope you learn them. And I'm not going to rehash all of them, but, you know, the two glaring ones. Let's just talk about the ones that everybody has been talking about because they're so glaring, they're so obvious. Not being more aggressive prior to the first half. The opportunity to put up some kind of points on the board followed by having the kickoff in in the second half. That's an opportunity you do not squander, especially if you think the other team can put up enough offense, potentially, to be able to cause you issues. Even a great defense is going to get tired. You have to control the football. That's where your running game came into play because it would allow your defense to stay rested and then be able to come out and perform at their maximum capability. And obviously, the big thing for me was in the latter portion of the game. It was uh, about six, six and a half, maybe even seven minutes left in the game they had just run the ball to go to second and five. And at that point, it looked like it was curtains. I believe I believe Troy Aikman was the one who basically said what a lot of us were thinking was, OK, so we know what they're going to do here. They're going to run the ball, run the clock. Because that was the logical play. You Really, you can do two running plays to try to get five yards. And if for some reason you don't, you've run like 70, 80 seconds off the clock. That's, that's ideal. At that stage in the game, up in the game, Kansas City still has to score a couple of times. And time is now your friend. At that point, time is your ally. You don't want to make it easier for them by passing the football and coming up short, let alone passing the football and having two incompletions. You had played a nearly flawless game, as far as I'm concerned. You had executed beautifully. The game plan was going well. That was not the time to try to unleash Jimmy G, who had been very efficient up until that point, to be honest with you. And given the way that the... The voting goes for the Super Bowl MVP. He was probably going to win the Super Bowl MVP if San Francisco had closed the deal and finished it off. Now, they had other opportunities that um, were created by some of the play calls despite that. Almost all the sins committed in the last couple of minutes would have been forgiven if Jimmy G had been able to connect with the deep ball with, I think, a minute and a half left in the game. That was like their last hurrah. That was their big opportunity to potentially steal, you know, steal uh, victory from the jaws of defeat of their own creation. But Kansas City took advantage. They capitalized. They were able to score three touchdowns late in that game to take the lead, and they were able to win. Uh, From the props gambling standpoint, uh, obviously I I lost big on the San Francisco bet because uh, I I put a little bit of money on that one. I did win a couple of props, um, and I was fortunate that I was able to actually... And one of the hedges that I put together beforehand, I looked at it from the perspective, I thought San Francisco was going to win. And I was sincere in my thought in that process. And through three and a half quarters, it looked pretty good. Obviously, Kansas City not only coming back to win, but coming back to win by double digits because of that late touchdown that actually probably wasn't a good football play. But I appreciated it from the standpoint that it gave me a, a 10 and a half point over under on Kansas City that offset some of my losses in the other way. And uh, I was... The biggest letdown of the game, honestly, uh, from my personal standpoint, was Demi Lovato really having a short rendition of the National Anthem. I was going for over two minutes, and I'm very disappointed that Demi completely let me down on that one. And uh, if you caught last week's episode, I had a lot of fun with little prop bets that you can make. I definitely didn't bet a lot of them because some of them were ridiculous, but there were a couple of fun ones. And it always gives a, adds a little spice to the game. If you're not interested in that kind of thing, then obviously you know ignore that part of it. But it does add a little spice to it if you're interested in that kind of thing. Overall, though, I'm extremely thrilled and happy with the game. I'm very happy for Kansas City, the the people there. It's been 50 years, you know, Super Bowl IV to Super Bowl 54, and – I think it's a good story because they really do have a legitimate opportunity. With a great coach and a great quarterback and a well-structured team, obviously they're going to have to pay Patrick Mahomes at some point here in the not-too-distant future, which is going to make things more complicated, which means the window might be kind of tight. It might be getting close to the point where they may have to try to reel off one or two more if they can manage it. Again, no givens, given the way that the AFC may improve next year. But if they're able to get to another game or two and maybe cash one in, it could really set the, the stage for Patrick Mahomes having an overall great Hall of Fame caliber career. I am not of the f- mindset that I'm going to give the man a gold jacket right now at this point in the game, but having a Super Bowl victory at age 24, having a Super Bowl MVP, although you could have made arguments for other players, certainly, and having a regular season MVP in a 50-touchdown, 5,000-yard passing season by the age of 24 through two full seasons as a starter, pretty good start. Pretty good. And I don't think Andy Reid would mind the opportunity to potentially add another another uh, Lombardi trophy to his mantle case um, after so many years of getting close and being in the vicinity and being the NFC championship and trying to get there and then falling short a multitude of times. It is funny, though, that at the end of the day, being as young as he is, Kyle Shanahan has now inherited the mantle from Andy Reid of being a guy who struggles with coaching decisions under pressure because he is going to get scrutinized. He was the guy in the offensive side of the ball responsible for the Atlanta Falcons blowing the 28-3 lead against the New England Patriots, continuing our national nightmare of New England continuing to be relevant when they probably should have faded out into oblivion by that point. And at the same time, I don't know. I would love to know if he thought that he made any bad play calls during that one. Although I would say that the Atlanta New England Super Bowl was more justifiable in the sense that at least if you're going to throw the ball, the reigning MVP at that point or the incumbent MVP, Matt Ryan, you know, with the ability to throw to Julio Jones, at least you could justify it. In this case, Jimmy Garoppolo, while I think he could be a good quarterback, could be, there's a lot of ifs coming up, but you're going to have to see if he continues to improve. But the point is, it was less justifiable in this one. There was absolutely no one in the world who thought it was a good idea outside of Kyle Shanahan to start throwing the ball when you were doing so well to control the clock and run it, especially when you were almost running out of time for the Kansas City Chiefs football season. Nonetheless, congratulations once again to the Chiefs. Best of luck to the 49ers in trying to get back there. Uh, If they do have a revenge tour next year, I think that'll be a very interesting storyline. I would love to see it. It would be fascinating, if nothing else. Now, with all that out of the way, that leaves us now a complete opening to consider and to focus our attention on. We, we took a collective breath. We took a week off. Well, actually, under a week, you know, minus a day. We took almost a week off to prepare ourselves for more football. It's time for week one of the XFL. And I want to be consistent on this because uh, this podcast last year, and it, it's crazy that it's been basically a year, Uh, last year spent a fair bit of time talking about the Alliance of American Football. Dave and myself spent quite a bit of time talking about the different weeks, right up until the point that things started to go south, and then obviously when the league folded. And um, there was a lot of uh, unnecessary nonsense podcast extras on the YouTube channel, and that's going to be making a comeback because I I really sincerely you know, from the bottom of my heart, want to see some spring football succeed. I want to see the football season continue, and I do think there is a place in the sports landscape for a quote-unquote minor league football product or a developmental league or a feeder system or whatever you want to call it, because right now you've got college, and then when those players are done their eligibility, you basically have to make it to the NFL or try to make a go at it in the CFL or try to make a go at it in an arena, which is sometimes there and sometimes not, and there's an indoor football league, and there's just a lot of variations, just straightforward, four-down football. You know, you you can have some rule changes and all that, but at the end of the day, when we look at the XFL product, it's four-down football. It's not a dissimilar concept, even if the players aren't necessarily the names we know. Obviously, there are some players that are known from some other areas, maybe college, maybe another run in the NFL previously, but again, I'm going to temper everybody, and I think the XFL has done a good job with this by not overselling the league or trying to make it more than what it is. I think... We have to bear in mind that at the end of the day, this is a league where these players are professionals, and they're trying to potentially elevate themselves to the next level. You know, there are there is room in the world because the last XFL produced a couple of players who did end up playing a little bit in the NFL.
1: You know, he hate me,
0: Rod Smart did play in the NFL a little bit. Tommy Maddox had a run with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not like there are. It's not like the NFL has an exclusive hold on all potential football talent. I would love to see that some other players maybe develop out of this league, maybe pick up some element of their game that was missing, that they weren't able to put together at the college level. And now with a little bit more game tape and some seasoning with some good coaches, because the league has some, some of these players could take that leap. But uh, the key is going to be how watchable the game is, how fun it is. And there are some rules that I think we liked. And we talk, I talked about it a little bit with Dave earlier in a previous podcast episode. There was the running clock, which I think is going to be good. I think it can make for a better television product. That's why I'm looking forward to it more than anything else. We'll have a double header on Saturday, and I'm going to talk about those games in a second. But um, I think there is an enthusiasm for it. I think there's an enjoyment. I've already seen a whole bunch of XFL-related podcasts crop up and XFL you know, Instagram uh, accounts talking about different aspects of the league. And we saw a little bit of that with the Alliance as well. And I'm hoping that some of that enthusiasm carries over. It is a shame that the Alliance never had the financing set up correctly to be able to do that. Um, We talked about some of the pros and cons with that league and the XFL as well before it came out, and I don't think it's going to be the case in this one, although WWE did lose some money in their stock and in their shares, but Vince already sold some of that to uh, fund the league previously. So I expect that they'll have deep pockets out of the gate, good television partners, because I, I can say... I was shocked, obviously, when it was originally announced that they were working with ABC and with Fox and with ESPN. So at least you can you can say that you can find, uh, you're definitely going to be able to find these games on proper you know, television. If you've got a regular cable package, you got it. If you got satellite, you probably have it. And there are obviously some streaming platforms that you can get that too. In Canada, uh, where I am, it, the games are available on TSN, so we've got that. Different, lots of different options, and um, it is going to be readily available, so it's not like they're hiding it from us, which is probably a good thing. You want to get as many eyeballs on it as possible. I think there will be a curiosity factor in Week 1, just like there was last time, although I think the hype was uh, was much more last time, and they didn't overdo it this time, which I think was wise. I think the key was to build up the league slowly, and I think it was great that they played some games, you know, kind of in background and secret, and had uh, the ability to kind of hone and and set people up. And and I'm hoping that since some of these players did come from the Alliance and already got a chance to play a little bit last year, some of these guys are not coming in cold. They're actually coming in with a little bit of recent playing experience, so it should make for a better on-field product. So in that way, the Alliance at least kind of bequeaths some of these players to this league where now they're going to have a chance to continue playing. And, uh, And I'm glad for that, and I think that'll be good. The last thing I'm going to say before I get into the week one games themselves is that I have part of the enjoyment that I've gotten of it is, as I said, is like this nascent XFL, you know, fan community has started building up. Is that uh, listening to some of these early uh, XFL podcasts and you know YouTube channels and all that? Is that I, I, I love that uh, that some of them have been coming out with power rankings and things already, like previews on the teams. And obviously, you can look at some of these players' college records, and you can look at some of these if they played in the NFL at all. You can look at that from the scouting perspective. I'm I'm not going to try to make any predictions especially before week 1 because at this point genuinely even the players that you know something about you don't know anything about them. You don't know what development they've done. You don't know uh, if they've been playing recently or if they have, you know, obviously other than training camp and all that. You don't know if maybe they've been coached up in a different way. How is the system going to go? What what are the teams different playing styles going to turn out to be? And a lot of it is going to come based on the the staff that has been that has worked for these different teams. And how, in- how engaged they are and how ready they are. And I think some of these head coaches are going to take it as a challenge to take some players that maybe somebody else doesn't see the potential in and to bring them up to that next level. And that's where I think it could potentially be exciting because some of the names maybe we haven't heard of could come out and break out into like little mini stars as far as this is concerned because you are on network TV. So if you're able to put on some stand-up performances and the games are entertaining, key word, entertaining. If the games are fun to watch, People will get into it, and uh, some of these players have a chance to become stars in their own right. Even if they're not mega NFL caliber stars, they can still be, you know, ones that fans will tune in to watch and enjoy. With all that said, let's talk about week one. So we're going to look at our matchups here, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in my area on ABC Network. You've got the Seattle Dragons taking on the DC Defenders. So the Dragons are Dave's adopted team of the logo, although I think Trogdor would have been a better logo for that one. But that's just a personal opinion. Um, Like I said, I'm looking forward to it. That is going to be the first game, and it is going to be on the main ABC Network. Uh, I'm excited to see, really, uh, in comparison to the, the AAF and... The reason why I'll harp on the AF a little bit here is, first of all, you know, the memories. You know, a year, it was a, almost a year ago that that league started as well. And uh, I was looking forward to it very much because they had that one-year lead time on this league. And now the XFL is going to take their stab at it. And there's going to be some comparisons to be made because you're going to want to see what the television product looks like, because obviously that's going to be a big part of the viewing experience, in addition to the rules, in addition to the teams, how polished the product looks, and I'm looking forward to that. those elements of it, and we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks here. The second game at 5 p.m. is going to be the L.A. Wildcats taking on the Houston Roughnecks. I'm still not really that keen on the Houston the logo and the Roughnecks, but nonetheless, I'll give it its chance, I'll give it an opportunity, but that'll be the... Later afternoon game, not not an evening game yet, but a uh, later afternoon game, which is, I think, a pretty good call, I guess. On Saturdays, you're not going to try to get people on a Saturday night. That's probably not going to work out too well. So you can watch the game if you're in the Eastern time zone and then go and have a pint or go to the club or do whatever it is you want to do. Whatever it is you do, what, you do you. But nonetheless, I don't think they're going to be occupying too much of your evening, but a good afternoon of football, potentially. That'll be good. On Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern time as well, you've got the Tampa Bay Vipers, who early indications are could be kind of a troublesome team. Uh, I believe they're coached by Mark Trestman, who I do have some familiarity with, taking on the New York Guardians. That's going to be on Fox. And I don't know if I mentioned it, the Saturday afternoon game, is later afternoon game, is going to be on Fox as well. And then on Sunday, the later afternoon game is the Seattle Battlehawks because... Battle Hawks, I guess, taking on the Dallas Renegades, my adopted team. So we've got uh, Dave's adopted team uh, to start off the league on Saturday early afternoon. And then my team will be playing uh, in the later afternoon on ESPN or in TSN in Canada where I am. So that's what week one looks like. We've got eight teams. All of them are going to be playing on week one. And then we're going to start getting into looking at, you know, what the standings look like and how these teams start moving around. We're going to learn pretty quickly, I think, which teams potentially have uh, real talent on them, although I would caution, in the same vein as the as the alliance, as I said, we have to do some comparisons to it. I would caution that, especially in the first couple of weeks, we're going to see some uh, coaches and players throw out different things that they may not do within a couple of weeks as the teams start to adjust to each other's styles. Because although they have played some games and some pre, you know preseason, so to speak, and a little bit of work last year and this year in kind of a summer league and trying to do a little bit of. Um, a pre-work so that these players aren't coming in cold. I still think that some of these uh, offenses and defenses are going to have to have a little time to develop, so I would caution everybody to consider that. Uh, At the end of the day, as long as we get good, clean, fundamentally sound football, I'll be thrilled. And I think as long as the games are, are able to put together some entertainment value, I'd like to see some fireworks, I'd like to see some scoring. I think the rules are catered towards that, so I think that'll be good. The So the other element of it will be that television presentation I mentioned to you. Obviously, they're working with real networks, with uh, with real staffs and people who know how to put together a television product, especially a football product. So I expect that from that element of it, it should be top-notch. I'd like to see also what kind of like their, uh, their studio uh, is going to look like as far as you know, between games and at the half and looking at all that, what kind of access they're going to try to provide. Uh, I've tried not to steer too much into that element of it because I do want to be surprised a little bit. And then I want to look at it with fresh eyes and not be too uh, tainted by knowing too much of that ahead of time. There were some innovations that I thought in the Alliance were good ideas. I don't know if the XFL will adopt them or not, but obviously they've got their own idea of the television product. And Vince McMahon is not a stranger to developing a product for television. Although, as I've said in the past, He has not had the best success rate with things outside of professional wrestling. So we're going to see what exactly he's able to do. From all indications, he's put the right people in charge. So I'm hoping that that carries over to the television product as well as the on-field product. So that's really what we're going to be looking at. With all that said, that concludes this short football-centric version, episode 40 of the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast. The social media little sites and things are going to need a little bit more work, so I'm not going to go into that yet. However, I will still have some shameless plugs. So if you enjoy the podcast, you can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out an archived version of all the episodes on YouTube by looking up Unnecessary Nonsense Podcasts. It's generally going to be a static uh, cartoon image of our faces, so so you don't have to be staring at the screen. So you can listen to us while being distracted or pretending to work. Whatever, whatever floats your boat in that regard. We don't judge, and we appreciate the listening either way. I do recommend, though, if you do check out the YouTube channel, keep an eye on it. Subscribe if you can, because, as I said, as we get into the season, into the season now of the XFL, especially starting from week one on, I'm going to try to do a little recap of some of the weeks and whatever observations I have, because I enjoy trying to watch these games and really trying to... It's all it's new to a lot of us so there aren't really really any XFL experts out there although I hear some people that are starting to develop a little bit of an understanding on it nonetheless we're all kind of starting on it from a from the ground floor and that's the most interesting and exciting part so I want to kind of go on that ride with you with all of you so by all means join us and uh, I'd love to get any comments or anything as we go along and do that because we want to make it better and we want to make it something that's worth watching and enjoying and as usual we will talk about it uh, on the podcast itself especially as as the weeks go on and we start getting our more of a sense of what it's going to be. With all that said, that's enough of my blabbering. Thank you as always. We will catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.